week. Well, not just this week, but this year, it seems to be a recurring theme of, of dig deeper, ask questions. My, my daughters wanted to know about things in the Bible, and the only way that they, they can find out is to be brave and to ask questions. And sometimes I think we, we feel like we're not allowed to ask questions of God. And I want you to understand something. If you get nothing else out of today's message, that you were created in the image of God. You were to be a reflection of who God is. And God himself asks questions. The God who knows everything still asks questions. So he's okay with you asking questions as well. I can't promise you'll always like the answer. I can't promise you're always going to get the answer that you're looking for or, or that God's even going to answer you in a way that you expect. But it's okay to ask the question. And, and we're continuing to talk about resilient and, and what it is to be resilient in, in this world that's full of trouble. You can turn on the news for five minutes and you're going to find the trouble. We, we don't watch a lot of the news at our house because I don't need the news. I work amongst enough people that I'm going to hear the news secondhand or I'm going to hear what I really am looking for according to the Bible, which is the signs of the end of the age. I don't need to watch the news for it. I can, I can see it because I don't have to hear about wars and rumors of wars because those are just the birth pains. I'm looking for specific marks in the generation and, and we'll talk about that later in the year. And I see it every day in people I work with and I work with young people. So the end of the age is coming because there's a generation raising up that's gonna fit all of the standards. And it terrifies me, breaks my heart because they're not gonna be a good generation. And Young people sitting over here, if you think I'm being down on you, I'm not being down on you. You're part of the remnant because you're in the house of God and you want to hear God's word and you want to live for him. It's a lot of your classmates that don't and you'll see those traits in them. That was a freebie. I'm going to chase rabbits this morning. Brace yourself. But part three is questions that build resilience. We have to be willing to ask questions, but we have to be willing to answer them as well. And I'm going to go through a lot of very fast background. If I go too fast, waving at me like this won't work. I was raised Pentecostal. Waving at me like this won't work. I was raised Pentecostal. If, if you want me to slow down, you're going to have to grab your wrist and go stop. Okay? If I go too fast, somebody give me the hand signal because I'm going to go way fast. And if you need to, this is on Facebook. You can go back and listen to it or the podcast. I've got it recording this time. Yay! So you can go back and catch it. But it's in Genesis. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, These are the generation of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. This is Gate, Oklahoma. Oh, okay, never mind. Uh, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. Again, it's gate. No, this is not fair today. And, and there was no man to work the ground. This is not true. We have plenty of them. And the midst, and a mist was going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground. 
man, every farmer in the room is thinking what I'm thinking. That'd be nice. And then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. Now, we don't have time for me to jump in and out of the story as much as I did last week, but, but there's some things that the, the people that want to tell you that you know this is a scientific account, I struggle with it being a scientific account because if we go back to the previous chapter, God took us through the days of creation, and now we're jumping back in and out of the middle of that story in chapter 2. Maybe chapter 2 is not necessarily a science lesson, but there's something more here. Okay, and I don't have time to take you into all of the Hebrew and, and take you to the, what the rabbis would tell you about the great chiasm in it. I'll tell you the chiasm without taking you all the way to it. Okay, we won't break every little thing down because if you're not a nerd like me, it doesn't work. And we don't have, it would take about an hour and a half to get there. And my, my family Christmas is at Laverne and I've been told be there at, we're starting at 12.30. And I told them, we'll be there when we get there. <laughs> if they're watching this live, we'll be there when we get there. I'm speaking the truth in love. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and he put there the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, I'm not going to take you through the fact that we always try and put those two trees in the middle of the garden. The Hebrew clearly says in the midst, which means it could be anywhere in the garden. doesn't necessarily mean middle. But we like it because we're Western culture. and Anyways, we're science brains. We're, we're not picture brains like the Hebrews. Anyway, a river flowed out of Eden to, the water, to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The first is Pishon that flowed out of the ground in the land of Havilah where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good, and Bedellum and Onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is Gihon, and it was the one that flowed into the whole land of Cush. And I skipped the rest of it where it goes on to tell you about the Tigris and the Euphrates. Let me tell you that that... If you're one of those people breaking it down for the chiasm, it starts to show you that Genesis chapter 2 is full of details that you don't know being brought to more specific details that you do. Because has anyone ever heard of the, the river Pishon? No. You know, and you haven't heard of the land of Havilah. No, you haven't heard of these places, but it's going to bring it down to places you have heard of, the Tigris and the Euphrates. You can go visit those rivers today. Jim, did you get to see those? I, I, don't, I haven't tracked everywhere Jim went with the Navy yet. That's going to be a geography assignment for my kids one day. But, but it, he jumped, Moses, when he's telling the story, jumps in and out for some of these details. And, and as we look at it, I want you to ask questions. Why would he do that? Well, why would he do that? Well, why would he do that? He jumps back in. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Okay, if there were a bunch of teenage 
men in the room today, I would tell you the first thing you need to understand here, this is a sidebar from Pastor JJ to you, speaking man to man. First thing God gave Adam was a job. And stay with us in the story because he gave him a job, then he's going to give him a woman. It's not my formula, dude. You got to do it, okay? I can promise you the pattern of my life. God gave me lots of jobs before he gave me a woman. So I would learn lots of skills so that I could better be a partner to a wonderful woman who has lots of other skills. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Pay attention to what God says. Eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Keep track of that. Okay, we get into this phrase where God, they're talking about all the outside stuff. Then he gets into what God says. God says to Adam this, and then God says, and he's talking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're having a side huddle here. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Okay, this is the second job of Adam. Adam's first job is to take care of the garden. His second job is to name the animals. Okay, Adam gets the role of namer. How many of you like giving things names? That is the biggest fight in our house if we get a new pet, what the name will be. With our dog Winston, there was no argument. I took executive action and named Winston before he ever came home. He is Winston. I won't give you the kid's middle name for him. It's pretty funny, but I'm not giving it. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave name to all the livestock and all the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And after studying, you know, the, the, this teaching from a, a really renowned rabbi, I don't like the phrase rib. He, he took a round from the man, which is more than the rib. And, but the, the word rib that gets translated is still good for us. We'll get to it in a second. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman. Again, he's naming it. Okay, he gets to name her. And it sounds really crude that he would just name her woman. But because she was taken out of man, therefore, shall, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The King James says cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. And when I studied that out, I, I want you, we're going to take a quick sidebar. It's almost like a marriage seminar. It's absolutely beautiful in the Hebrew. But the first thing God said, we're going to make him a helper. And a lot of times we get excited about that thinking, oh, she's going to be there to help. That, that's not what helper meant in Hebrew. 
Helper in Hebrew means we're going to create tension for the man that he can lean against. A, a, she is the helper who opposes him. Everybody in the room is starting to giggle right now that is married because your spouse, while they're great to lean on, they often cause friction and lean against you. Marriage takes work because it's kind of a balancing act. Imagine two planks is what this rabbi said, leaning against each other. As long as they lean against each other, they can both stand upright. But if you take one plank away, what happens? The other falls. And, and I often talk about there, there being a triangle between a man and a woman when they get married. And I used to ignorantly talk about God being at the point of the triangle. God's not at the point of the triangle. God's the foundation bar. And the two people have to lean against each other. They have to be in opposition. There has to be pressure to hold them together. And at their very alone points away from each other is where they desperately need God the most. Marriage Seminar 101. But the rib can be interpreted as a beam or a door or a side chamber of the temple, the house of worship. How many of you men in the room consider your wife as one of the places you most long to be in worship? I want to be close to her because when I'm close to her, I feel the closeness that I feel in the presence of God. Should have preached this on Valentine's Day. But when we get to the point where God talks about it and He labels the man and woman, in Hebrew, man is ish. And, and when Adam, man, Ish, names woman, he names her Isha because she's, who, she's part of me. She's part of who I am. I'm not complete without her. And, and it goes on in the Hebrew where it says the two become one flesh. That is Hayah. It's not karate where we chop each other, but it's Hayah Barashar. It's the two become, they exist, they're established, and it makes something fresh and new and wonderful. It was a complete picture of humanity. There was not an animal that God created and put on the earth that could complete humanity. He needed woman to do that. And, and for far too long, the the world and the church has, has said that that woman is supposed to be subject to man. She's not subject to you. She's the helper that opposes you. She has to be on equal footing with you or she can't oppose you. She can't fit her design. I'm not saying that she's called to do everything a man's called to do. She's called to do most of the opposite because the opposites make it work. Our world's trying to create all these other beams that will never fit and they'll never stand up. And it's heartbreaking. I'm going to chase that rabbit too far if I stay there. In Genesis 2, 25, kids get ready to giggle. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. The other reason I'm not taking you to the chiasm is naked comes up a bunch of times and my poor kids would fall out of the pew. 
Naked, the Hebrew word for it is arom, and it means bare or almost transparent. And unashamed mean in Hebrew is lobus, without shame, not disappointed, not disconcerted. Can you imagine that relationship with your spouse? It has nothing to do with the amount of clothing you're wearing. It has to do with, are you completely bare and transparent with them? When your day has been awful, are you bare and transparent with them? When everything's going good, are you bare and transparent with them? Now the reality is, is your relationship with your spouse is also supposed to be a mirror image of your relationship with Christ. Are you bare and unashamed to be fully honest with Him? Genesis chapter 3, we're moving very quickly here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I don't have time to really go into all this, but who told Eve this? Who told Eve about what God said? Adam. God never directly spoke it to Eve. Adam did. So either Adam or Eve added to what God said because what God said, we'll jump down here to it, you may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God never said anything about don't touch it. God God didn't leave some of these details out that we get Eve saying. You know, and she just said the tree in the midst of the garden, like she didn't really know which one it was. I'm not trying to throw Adam under the bus, but I'm going to be real with you, men. If you don't speak the Word of God into your family as the Word of God, not your interpretation of it, but as the Word of God, if you don't speak it into their life, they're not going to be able to regurgitate it to the enemy. Now, sidebar, I have problems with the serpent. The serpent walked. Okay, we don't find that out till later when God curses him to crawl on his belly. But the serpent walked. And far more than this, it's still blowing my mind. Adam and Eve were Dr. Doolittle. Because the serpent talked. We've sleptwalked through this so many times that we just say, oh, the serpent was the devil. It never says he was the devil. It says he was the serpent and he talked. He was crafty. How many of you have animals that are crafty? Our kids are raising their hand. They know our dog is like a ninja when it comes to sneaking in the kitchen and getting in the trash can. He's crafty. And the other thing that the, the serpent understood 
Because all animals understand this. They understand what it is to have desire. And the serpent spoke to that with Eve. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You won't die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Isn't that what every person in this room desires to be is more like Jesus? If not, you kind of missed it. We all desire that. You'll be like Him, knowing good from evil. So we get to Eve. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Eve saw that it looked good. She found delight at the thought of it. She desired what it could do for her in that moment, and she took it. That is exactly how the process of being an animal works. That's what it is. That's a process of being an animal. And science and Western culture will tell you because you're a human being and you have certain characteristics that you are an animal. We're here to dispel that this morning. You're not an animal. Because James tells us what causes fights and quarrels among you. And, and, and there's other translations that read inner disputes with yourself. What causes these things? They come from your desires that battle within you. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend to get your pleasures. It all drives right back to that animal instinct. You're not an animal. The whole message of Genesis chapter 2 and 3 is you're not an animal. Yes, it, it's explaining that sin came into mankind and separated us from God, but you're not an animal. The eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The thing that popped out at me immediately when I read that is, hey, that's when I like to go walking too. I hate walking in the hot part of the day. I'm going to go walk in the cool part of the day. Therefore, I am made in the image of God, just like the Bible says I am. There's a freebie. If you need more proof, you don't like walking in the hot either. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I was afraid that I was no longer enough. I was afraid because I felt exposed. 
So I hid myself. And God's reply to that is, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? I want you to understand, this is still the same all-knowing, all-powerful God we serve. Why is He asking Adam the question? So that Adam will ask himself the question. God knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. God knew exactly who they'd been listening to. And God knew exactly what they had consumed. And He wanted them to step into that moment and to know who they were. Where are you? Can you imagine God having to say that to you today? Where are you? Adam and Eve had everything. They got to walk with God. Not just feel His presence, not just feel Him you know, flowing out of them like the river of life, but they could reach out and take His hand. He could put His arms around them. They could physically touch God and they lost that. Where are you? You're not here walking with me where you're supposed to be. God's still calling that to us, church. Where are you? In those moments where you fall short and you struggle and you, you find yourself drawn into temptation, where are you? Are you walking with me or are you far away from me because you've been led away by desire and by passion? Who or what voices are you listening to? There's so many Christians that can't grow closer to God because they can't get their own voice out of their head. They can't get that voice out of their head that's not happy with what they see in the mirror. They can't get that voice out of their head that dreads opening the bank account. They can't get that voice out of their head that, that says, put this in your body, it'll make you feel better. They can't get that voice out of their head that says, if I just change myself in this way, the world will accept me and love me more. They can't get past those voices. They can't get past the news that's telling them the world is ending, that you should be afraid, you should hide in a hole because there's a microscopic virus that wants to kill you. Newsflash, there have been microscopic viruses killing people for eons. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to be afraid of going out here and getting run over on the highway. People die in highway accidents every day. You don't have to be afraid of stepping into your shower. People die in the shower every day. You don't have to be afraid that somewhere there is a duck watching you. That is a scientific phobia, anatidophobia. The fear that somewhere there's a duck watching me. And if you listen to the voices that tell you it's true, you start to believe it. And lastly, God would ask us, what are you consuming? Are you feasting on the bread of life? My word that I left you. Are you enjoying the fruits of the Spirit from other believers and sharing that fruit with them? Is that river of life that I sent you to quench your thirst flowing out of you? Or have you damned it up with worry? Have you damned it up with pride and, and, and frustration or shame? Because you messed up and, and the enemy will tell you that you're naked and you, you're unworthy. 
Who are you listening to? Where are you? What are you consuming? These are the questions that when we begin to ask ourselves and get real with God, we begin to find freedom because you're not an animal. The thing that separates you from the animals is God made you in His image. You are the image bearer of the Almighty. It says very clearly in Genesis 1 that male and female, He created them. And before He created them, He said to everyone, let's make man in our image. He made you in His image to bear His image to the rest of creation and to remind other image bearers of who they are. That they're not animals. They're not slave to these desires and passions because He put His breath, the Ruach, the Spirit of God in you so that when you face temptation, you can boldly declare to it in Jesus' name that I don't have to give in to that temptation because I am not an animal. I am an image bearer of the Most High. And you can walk with Him on this earth. You don't have to wait to get back to Eden. You can walk with Him every day. And you can taste and see that He is good. Where are you? Who are you listening to? And what are you consuming? Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for the reminder today. Lord, that that we were made in your image and you are the God who is enough and knows when to say enough. And God, right now, as we, as we close this service and we, we find ourselves challenged with questions from you, God, I, I pray that everyone who hears and sees this message can, can adamantly say that they're walking with you. But if they're not, Lord, if, if they find themselves without a good answer to where are you, that they would just call out to you. They don't have to have perfect words to pray to you, but just simply call out to you and, and declare to you that they believe in your son Jesus and that he died on the cross for their sins and he rose from the grave and that he is the Lord of their life. And Lord, that, that we would begin to get finely tuned in to you and your Holy Spirit and we would start to tune out the voices of this world and, and the voice of our fleshly desires that tries to lead us astray. Lord, where you would be the overriding voice in our life. And God, that we would hunger for your word. Lord, that we, we can't go a day without consuming large portions of your word because it's how you speak to us most directly. And God, as we go our separate ways this week, I pray that, that we'll continue to ask you questions and to answer when you ask questions of us. And God, may we always remember we're not an animal. We're an image bearer. And Lord, may that knowledge just continue to build into our hearts and our minds 
a resilience to share the gospel and to build your kingdom. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.